The 56th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. This is Carolina Basketball. Black holding high goes to Darty. Darty in the double team. Gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan. Jumper from out on the left. Good! Michigan out of timeout. And Weber front court. Carolina thought he'd travel with it. Weber front court. Carolina with foul. He takes a timeout. They're out of timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul on Michigan. Now gets it away to Donald Williams. Down the side to Stackhouse. Stackhouse streaking in on Park. Reverse duck is good. And he gets fouled by Park. Oh, my goodness, what a dunk. Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams' front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to him. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May! It's over! Carolina has won the national championship. Belton ready on his second attempt. That one is no good. They battle for it. Loose ball. Recovered for and he scores! And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champion. Matthews off the mark, and this year the confetti is going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time. From HeelToughBlog.com, this is the Four Corners Podcast, featuring your host, Josh Marlowe. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony back with you guys today to recap Carolina's 79-62 win yesterday in Atlanta, Georgia over the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets to get Carolina their first ACC win of the season, first ACC win under Hubert Davis and Buddy. This time, a week, two weeks ago, weren't feeling all that good about Carolina. Um, and rightfully so, after a disappointing performance up in Uncasville, Connecticut. Dare I say you were down on the team a slight bit. <sighs> that, that might be a fair assumption. Two weeks later, two big wins. This team, it feels like it's starting to move in the right direction. Yeah, also, put your pants on. Okay, these are two big wins, but these are not pants off worthy wins. Okay, what, let's. What does that mean? Let's relax here. All right, my pants weren't off. Let's win. God, you are so bad at these radio bits or these podcasting bits. But yeah, these are. This is this is celebratory, for sure. Back to back wins where, you know, you didn't play awful in the first half, but you didn't play great either. And in the second half, you have just completely turned it on. I was talking to somebody outside of our studio before we were going to record, and he said, look, I still want them to play 40 minutes. That's the ultimate goal. Like, can we get one of those games um, you know, here in the near future? But how many times do you actually play 40 minutes? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I understand what he's saying, though. Let's let's see a first half that you play in a similar fashion to the second half. But I'm going to be honest. You can't really be that angry if this is the team that you're going to see the entire season. If this is a team that wants to turn it on in the second half, I would much rather have them turn it on in the second half than in the first half and not show up for the second half. This well, team's making adjustments in the locker room and I think that's that's a credit to this coaching staff. We challenged them before that Michigan game to make mm-hmm. adjustments, and they have. Well, the, the biggest thing about their second-half performances and their efforts is when they can sense the game is in their hands, they have completely taken the game over yesterday, a 22-4 to run to put away the game. Yesterday was a historic win for a lot of different reasons for Carolina. It was their 2,300th win all-time in program history becoming just the third program to achieve that number, joining Kansas and Kentucky. And also, Carolina improves to 56-13 and all-time in ACC openers. Those 56 wins are by far the best in the ACC. Let's take a look at the box score from Carolina's victory. This offense continues to function at a high level. 56% from the field, 
31 of 55 yesterday. They held Georgia Tech to just 46% shooting, 25 of 54 for the Yellow Jackets. Carolina, three-point percentage, 59%, the season best so far on 10 of 17 threes. And that three-point defense has taken a step forward over the last week, too. They held Georgia Tech to just 6 of 16. Free throws, Carolina, back-to-back games, they have not reached double-digit free throw attempts, but it didn't cost them Carolina 7 of 8 from the foul line. That was 88%. The big thing to take away is even though they didn't shoot a lot of free throws, they didn't put Georgia Tech on the foul line either, just seven foul attempts for the Yellow Jackets in the turnover department, Carolina 14 Georgia Tech 13, but of the 13 Georgia Tech turnovers, Carolina turned those into 21 points, rebounding Carolina 33 to 21 in that advantage, including 26 to 17 on that defensive glass. Second chance points 7 to 2 in favor of Carolina. Bench points even at 17. Uh, points in the paint, Carolina 38 to 32. So you can go back to Connecticut. Carolina gave up 96 points in the paint in two games. Hard to believe that. They haven't given up that that many points in the paint in their last three games combined. Fast break points, Carolina gave up 23 points in the fast break, but they converted or they, they got 15 of their own. Uh, Georgia Tech out, out blocked them 3 to 2. They outstole Carolina 10 to 8, but in the assist column, Carolina with their best performance of the season with 21 assists compared to just eight assists for Georgia Tech. So let's look at the stat of the game. Um, we were talking in the pre-show about was it assist, turnovers, uh, three-point percentage, and and we went with the, we went with the three-point percentage, fifty-nine um, percent. That's a great number. Um, and I think the biggest thing that I've taken away from this team, as opposed to like the last time Carolina shot the ball really well from three, was two thousand eight to two thousand nineteen. You had Kobe White, Cam Johnson, Kenny Williams, and Luke May. But there were times with that team that when that three ball would start going, that became the focal point of their offense, and they it bogged down, and they became reliant on that three-point attempt. There hasn't been a game this year where Carolina has gotten caught up in making a lot of threes or when they give up three-pointers, having to answer with a three. There was a stretch in yesterday's game that Georgia Tech made five three-pointers in, in two minutes. Five of their six made threes came in a two-minute barrage while they were on a 19-2 run midway through that first half. And Carolina, it didn't let it affect them. They still ran their offense, and they're getting, they're getting so, many, so much better quality looks from three than they have in years past because there's best action, or there's better action from Hubert Davis, the floor is spacing. Um, you've got Brady Manick who's really helping you. And, it, you know, Carolina... Only had three different guys make three-pointers, but Caleb Love, three of five. R.J. Davis, four of six. Brady Manick, three from six. They're taking the, the shots within the offense, and they're benefiting, and that's why this offense is functioning right now at a really high, efficient level. I mean, we've talked so much about how this team has become just a better half-court team, and it's because they're taking those smarter shots. And, I mean, look, these, this, this is a game where your guards were making those shots from the outside. There were so many games a year ago where even if one of them was making shots from the outside, you could never seem to get both guys on the same page at the same time. We've seen it now a couple of times this year. Um, and for R.J. Davis, I mean, this is another one of those games. This is what you can expect from R.J. Davis. He's going to have these games every once in a while where he is just going to go off. He was on last night. And it just shows, again, these guys have taken significant steps from last year in terms of their shooting and their confidence from behind mm-hmm. the arc. And then, you know, a veteran in Brady Manick being able to make those outside jump shots. I I mean, look, even in the first half, they were not shooting great from the outside. They really turned it on in that second half. Seven of nine from the outside in that second half when they needed to make – those big shots, they made them in the second half. That's what allowed them to pull away. And I mean, you just it's it's been like you said, you had you had the, you know, the run back in 2018 where you had Cam Johnson and you had Luke May that can make shots from the outside for you. But for this team, even though only three guys shot threes last y- yesterday afternoon, 
there are other guys that we've seen that are capable of making shots from the outside. This feels like the first time in a while where Carolina's three-point shooting is, one, really good, and two, really balanced. Well, the biggest thing why it's so hard to defend Carolina right now is because when they're not taking those three-pointers, Love, Davis, Manic, whoever it is, they're also putting the ball on the floor and getting to the lane. And with the with the defense so spread out, now now you don't know how to defend them because are you going to run out really hard and try to close it on a three-pointer? Well, then you're a suspect to get blown by. Or are you going to give them looks from behind the three-point line? And that's why this offense, we're seeing the – the payoff in the change of philosophy from the playing two bigs. Carolina's still playing inside out. Now, sometimes it's guard-driven with their guards getting the points in the paint, getting to the basket, but that's how you you know, you know want, you want your team to play. And so that's why they're just getting so much better quality of looks from behind the three-point line. Let's move on to the quote of the game. We've got a, a clip from Hubert Davis talking yesterday after Carolina's win, saying that it validates their performance on Wednesday night against Michigan. It even goes past, you know, having a sense of validation for this team and for this program. I've said before that there's a sense of urgency with this group to be relevant. You know, they're tired of hearing about my stories and Coach Mays and Coach Lebo and Coach Sullivan about winning on the road in the ACC and making big shots and making big plays. They want to have their own stories and their own testimonies. And one of the things that I was so happy about on Wednesday was that it wasn't a story of mine or any one of the coaches. Like they got to see and they got to personally experience their own stories, their own testimonies, their own memories after after Wednesday's game. And so they're building on that after winning today. We're going to get into that comment and just a general thought about validating Wednesday a little bit later. You, I don't think we can put a uh you know a number on how big this week was for Carolina. You had 8 days off before a home game against Michigan. You were dominant in that second half on your home floor. You got your first signature win for Hubert Davis. Then the challenge became, okay, can you carry that over into the next game, which was an ACC game on the road in a place where historically you're good but not great. You lost there just a year ago. How would that translate? The first 20 minutes, it was kind of iffy. But you were tied. You withstood their run. And you felt good going into halftime. You come out in the second half, a 22-4 run later, and and, and, and you're, you're walking away with a big-time win. I said after Michigan, if you look back to – and Carolina has a, has a successful season, that's a game that you look back to. This game fits that category as well. And I don't think the value of playing at the College of Charleston – showed up yesterday because you've played on the road, you've played in a hostile gym, and you faced a double-digit deficit already, and you were able to say, okay, we've been here before, we responded before, let's do it again. And then they did that. And that's the most rewarding part as a fan, when you can see your team face adversity and you want, and they respond positively to that adversity. Hubert Davis will not come out and publicly say how big yesterday was for him individually, but you know for him and that coach staff and that team, they're really buzzing after that win. Oh, no doubt, and they should be. I mean, that's a big conference win. I mean, I told you earlier when we were talking about it, look, Georgia Tech is is a legitimate tournament contending team. They're a quality year. opponent. They are. They've gotten to that point. This is not the Georgia Tech of a few years ago where you looked at them and said, look, they won by 17. They probably should have won by more. No, this is a legitimate win. And, and I like what you said about them going on the road to the College of Charleston. I really think that that was something that this team needed. Mm-hmm. That's a team that you know, probably just from what we saw them could end up in the NCAA tournament. And I think that went a long way towards helping them in a game like this where they face some adversity. I also think a game like Brown is probably one you look at as well, where you were trailing at halftime to a team that you were favored to destroy. Mm-hmm. And we you, now, okay, we faced those, those adverse moments and we battled back. I also think that having this moment happen after Michigan – was also important for this team because they knew, okay, look, this is a big moment. This is, an, this is a conference game. We we really feel like we need to get this one. 
And look, we're in a similar-ish situation to what we were in against Michigan. We're there. We haven't played our best half of basketball, but we're in position to win this game. So I think it's all set up really, really well. Um, and and I think this team is is starting to come together, and you're starting to also see some of the guys. It, it they're they're maybe not the most vocal guys, but you're starting to see guys that are becoming leaders by example. Armando Baycott is the one that definitely comes to mind first. I mean, he got the better of Hunter Dickinson in the matchup against Michigan, and then in this game. 15 and 13 for you inside. Wasn't your leading scorer, Didn't but have to be. was a steadying presence for your team inside. And is he's doing exactly what he needs to do. And again, I, I thought Brady Manick continues to show that even though he's a transfer, he is a guy that is going to lead by example out there on the floor. And it really helps this team, especially with Manick coming off the bench. I think that role is perfect for him. He continues to shine in that role. And yeah, this this one, th- this is this one feels really really good. So we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna play this week's ad from DraftKings. Then we're gonna come back, get more into the win against Georgia Tech, and give some more of our thoughts and takeaways as Carolina gets their first ACC win under Hubert Davis. Football fans, I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game. But with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you will be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving new customers shots at millions of dollars and total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TBPN. Bet $1 on any team to score, and you win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager is required. Only one per customer. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Really hope you guys are taking great advantage of all these great offers I've been giving you over here on the Four Corners side of things. As for Anthony over you over, over there for you guys on the Heel Tough blog side of things. Let's get more into this, this dive in more to this game. And we're, we're, we're going to talk about the defense here in a second. But this offense... This is what I think we expect to see from Carolina in February and March. This is efficient, high level, and they're doing it in a multitude of different ways. Um, the you know the three point shooting, they're finishing more at the rim. I've been going to this stat more recently because I think it's the most telling stat. Sixty four possessions, Carolina scored on thirty four of those trips. Their points per possession, 1.234. When Carolina, and that and that's what that was with that was with 14 turnovers, by the way. They still scored that efficiently. Mm-hmm. When Carolina doesn't turn the ball over, you could argue this is a top five offense in, in college basketball. Because they got so much diverse scoring. Wednesday night, it was Caleb Love. Yesterday, it was RJ Davis and some of Caleb Love. Because he added 17, but also yesterday was the very first time that we saw the benefit of playing two point guards because he moved Kittle Love off the ball. That hadn't happened yet this year. You were waiting for it to happen because he kept drawing comparisons to Marcus Page and Joel Berry, mm-hmm. and there were times in that 15-16 year when Carolina made a run to the Final Four in the National Championship game, Marcus Page played off the ball, and there was benefits because he was able to come off screens and, and, and get good looks. You're not really screening Caleb Love as much as you did Marcus Page, but that ability for for Love to realize, okay, he's taken over the game. I'm not, I'm not going to get in the way of that. And them two just functioning at a high level at the same time. Then you add in Armando Baycott. That was a quiet 15-point effort. Like, when you looked at the box scores, where did he get his 15 points? De- definitely. And then Brady Manick, 15 points off the bench, 6 of 10 shooting, 3 of 6 from behind the three-point line. I anticipated better offense. 
I didn't anticipate high-level offense in November and December, though. I didn't anticipate the voice crack either. But, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think anybody saw this coming. I, I We knew that this was going to be a different-looking team. We knew that we were going to see these guards be more aggressive driving the basket. And we've seen that so far this year. But as you mentioned, I mean, you've got two guys that seem to be playing off each other really, really well. I think that was one of the things that we didn't really say a whole lot last year, but I think it was just kind of evident that the chemistry really just wasn't there between Caleb Love and R.J. Davis yeah. last year. Mm-hmm. Now you can see it. They they sort of know each other and know what needs to be done in that backcourt to be the most efficient from game to game. And that's the thing that's that's so enticing about this team and that we knew coming into the year was going to be so enticing about them is that defenses are going to be kept on their toes because there are different there are times where all these different guys can bring the basketball up. Yeah. And that's what I think is scary for teams that are facing Carolina. But then yeah, now you're getting these guys both knocking down shots from the outside. That's I mean that's something that should scare a lot of teams in the ACC. And I mean as you mentioned you know, the, if you if you look at the points, you would say, well, they're not scoring as good as they did earlier in the season. No, they're scoring even better because they're playing a slower pace, which I think is helping them defensively, as I've said a couple of times. Well, that, I don't think that's been designed. That's been the opponents that you've played. Like you knew, especially with Georgia Tech, they're not going to run with you. They don't have the athletes to run with you, and they know right. if we get into a track meet, it's not going to end well. Well, I think, I think the game that showed it was probably UNC Asheville. Because that's a game where you can control the tempo. Michigan and Georgia Tech, they can probably control the tempo a little bit on you, especially Georgia Tech in their building. But I feel like Carolina, I'll say this, even if they're not the ones controlling it, I feel like they feel okay playing at that slower pace. And it's it's working out really well for them because their half-court offense is just, I, I mean, this has got to be the most efficient half-court offense that we've seen in at least the last oh, it's three or since, four years. It's been easy. Since, it's been since 2018-19. That's the difference. The last two years, Carolina had to run because they couldn't get anything in the half-court. Well, the other thing that was so key for them as well was they had to crash the offensive glass or they weren't going to be able to have success on the offensive end. This year, I mean, we knew they were probably going to take a step back rebounding wise well yeah part of the reason they've done that this year they've shot the ball so efficiently they don't need the offensive rebound and that's that's good that's huge for this team that's not as big as it's been in the past yeah I think it's something that even with myself I've got to look at from a different lens it's hard to want 10 to 15 offensive rebounds per game when you're shooting 59 percent from the field like you're not gonna (laughs) you're not gonna grab every miss but the last couple years and look I still think that it should still be a trademark because if you can offensive rebound the ball better than your opponent, most times you're going to win the ball game. But if, if they're going to shoot, and they're not going to shoot 59% every game. We know that. But if, if they can shoot 47 48% and not have to get 15 to 20 offensive rebounds, you're going to be more efficient. They were shooting that you know 47%, 48% in the last couple of years with 15 to 20 offensive rebounds. Like they, they, they had to, and there was times last year, their best offense – was we're going to throw something up, but then Dayron Sharp or whoever is going to go grab the thing, and then you're putting it back up, and you're getting and you're getting a defensive breakdown. That's not how they have to get their points right now, right? And and I think that's that's the biggest thing. I mean, look, they they had 33 total rebounds in this game, and they out rebounded Georgia Tech by 12. By 12. Mm-hmm. Last year, if you had 33 rebounds in a game, you would have gotten out rebounded. It, so it's a completely different game. So that's why. If you're someone that focuses on those kind of stats, you need to realize that this team is still doing a lot of work. And even in the offensive rebounds they had, they had seven offensive rebounds in this game, converted them into seven second chance points. So not not unbelievably efficient, but still pretty good. And they're taking care of what they need to this year. And yeah, I mean, this is the most confident I've been where when you see a guy even somewhat open, and he's putting up a shot, this is the first time in a couple years where you think, okay, that's probably going in. It's like me and church ball that I I got got that reputation. I was on the scouting report, don't leave that guy open, and they still kept doing it. Another thing yesterday 
Carolina's assist, 21 of them on 31 made baskets. I'm not a math major. That's worth of 50%. It's not bad. That's really good. They Thir- did 13 in the second half as well. They did turn it over 14 times, but I come back to this, and, and I value this as much as probably anybody not named Hubert Davis. They have seen eight. They played eight games, right? They have seen eight yep. different defenses in those eight games. You can't put a value on having this type of offensive success against those types of defenses because what it's doing is that for when you get to ACC play and the scouting's more, there's more on tape and the scouting's more in depth. Well, now you can't do this or that. And yesterday, when George Tech threw out that one-three-one zone, what's the best way to beat the zone is to pass the ball. And I thought Carolina's passing, for the most part, was exceptional. You got five assists from Caleb Love and R.J. Davis, but then four from Armando Baycott, four from Brady Manick. If you're bigs, and you saw this so much under Roy Williams, if your bigs are a part of your passing, whether it's from the high-low, whether it's out of a double team, no matter what it is, when your bigs can pass the ball as well as Carolina can pass the ball, it only makes you it only makes you that much harder to defend. I mean, that was one of our favorite attributes about Dayron Sharp last year was that the dude could pass the basketball. I mean, no, I mean it, it really does because it sort of keeps defenses on their toes because there's there were times last year, you know, and 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 the year before especially when you got it into Garrison Brooks where you knew, okay, the ball's going inside to Garrison Brooks. He's going to take the shot. He's not going to pass it because that's just not in his arsenal. That's right. that's not what, what they're using him for on the block. Neither with me and church ball. And this year, yeah, I could see you backing someone down on the block with your chubby rear end. But I, I, had, I had post moves that Carl Malone wish he had. Jeez. Yeah, the only post moves that you have are posting to the to the blog website. That's about it. <laughs> that was good. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you 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 got to give them credit. They're moving the ball a lot better this year. This was the most assists that they've had in a game by far this year. Um, and the th- and again, it's it's interesting because just like the success from three, just like the scoring success, it's spread out. There's nobody on this team that you look at and. It is this dominant force, and it I, that that feels good that you can rely on all of these different guys to step up in all of these different departments. You're not having to rely on specific guys to do whatever, or else you're not going to have success. Because speaking of Garrison Brooks, two years ago, if he wasn't leading you in scoring and leading you in rebounding in a game, you were getting blown out. If Cole Anthony back in 2019 wasn't, leading you in scoring uh, when he was healthy and leading you in assist, you were getting blown out. So they're, they're getting diverse um, results in a lot of different categories. Scoring, right. rebounding, assisting, and that's the sign. Not, not of, of course, of a good team. That's a complete team. When, when you can have five different guys on the court and you know you're going to get contributions from those five guys, which usually you don't you don't have in November and December. It's something we're having to adjust to because the rotations right now are different under Hubert Davis. Mm-hmm. It makes you just so much tougher to defend. The biggest thing that I think we were worried about coming out of Wednesday night was was that defensive effort going to carry over because they fought Wednesday. They were energetic. They were active. That that was the best they've looked defensively in some time. But usually you don't see that effort carry over to the next game. I thought Carolina, in a lot of ways yesterday, it was even better. It was like they they saw what they did well Wednesday, and it was like, okay, how do we take it to the next level? They had a stretch in the middle of the first half where things broke down. Georgia Tech made a bunch of three-pointers. But, I mean, they were making threes from the logo. You're not going to complain. You want them taking those shots, whether they make them or not. After that... And I got to give Hubert Davis credit. He took a timeout. Carolina was down eight. We know how I feel about timeouts. Wouldn't have taken one in that situation. It proved to be the right decision. Carolina comes back. They tie the game going into halftime. They've got a grittiness 
that I'd anticipate this team having. And it's led by Brady Manick. You talk about the leadership as a transfer. He was the guy that blasted the team after the UNC Asheville game, saying we're not playing like a team. Yep, We've got four McDonald's All-Americans. We're not playing like McDonald's All-Americans. Since that moment's happened, Carolina's responded. And I think you have no choice when a outsider – look, he, he is a Tar Heel, but he's an outsider for the last four years – shows up and says, look, we're not playing great. Dude, when mini Larry Bird calls you out, you got to step your game up. I mean, it's just that simple. But you're right, and he's done. He, he's been the guy that's led by example. He's not a guy that's saying, "Hey, you need to do your job better," and then not playing and, and doing and 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 you know utilizing himself better. And I, yeah, I mean that that first half, you definitely saw some moments where there were some breakdowns. But part of that is that, yeah, I mean, you just had Georgia Tech making some shots mm-hmm. as well. But when you needed to step up again in that second half, you did. That team shot 46% overall on the night. 46% in both halves. I mean, you'll take that. That's not bad. Um, but the thing that, that that was different from the first half was Georgia Tech had to get a lot of their points in the second half that they got inside because you took away – their three-point shooting from the outside. They were 5 of 8 in the first half. Yep. Second half, they were 1 of 8. Well, and here's the thing. Michael DeVoe entered the, the game, leading the country in scoring at 25 points per game. He was balling. Well, I, 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 was, I was not able to be on the uh, the podcast, uh, pre, the preview edition of the podcast with you because of I, some technical difficulties. I got some great results about the solo pod, by the way. We may have to move in that direction. People liked more of my opinions. Yeah, I don't think so. I'm going to be honest with you. Also, there's not there's not the silliness, and we enjoy the silliness. But usually when you enter that game yesterday with that dude playing at that level, you're worried that that guy is single-handedly going to beat you. And and he was, look, they played some legitimate opponents, mm-hmm. too, that he has, he has destroyed. So Leaky Black has his fanfare with the fan base, including myself, whether it's good or bad. You can't deny the intangibles he's bringing defensively because every point that Michael DeVoe got last night, he earned it. They never gave him a bucket. And Hubert Davis said in his postgame as well, the MVP of the game wasn't Caleb Love or R.J. Davis or Armando Baycott. It was Anthony Harris, a guy who didn't play at all against Michigan, gets put in a situation where we need you to play defense at a really high level on Michael DeVoe, 14 minutes, the energy was there, and that toughness, I talk, it, it starts with Manny because he gets more playing time. Anthony Harris has a grittiness to him. He's tough because he's, he's a smaller guard. He's got a scrap. He's got a claw. He's got to fight for everything he's got. But when that's on the court, well, now it's contagious. And now you're more willing to die for a loose ball. You're going to close out harder on a perimeter shot. You're going to run back harder to get back defensively. And that's the thing. This team two weeks ago, well, like it had no help to be a good defensive team. I was claiming put their butts in a zone and we'll live with the results. There were other things that you were claiming as well that will leave uh, off the airwaves. Three games later, you're allowing your opponents to score just 55 points per game. You can see a pathway yep. where Carolina is really – is not. Um, I'm not going to say a really, really good defensive team, but they're a good defensive team. You could see situations where they can win games with their effort on the defensive end. And, man, if you get that, because you know your offense night in, night out is going to get theirs. If, if, they can, if they can continue this level of intensity, this energy, this focus, that's going to be scary, and it's – you got to give the credit to the players and the credit to this staff because they, they they saw the adjustments they had to make and they've made them and now you got a team that's confident on both ends on the court. Yeah, I mean, look, the coaching staff is is the one that clearly has to get a, a lot of the credit, but I mean, yeah, these players definitely bought in and I mean, you can't I mean, to have a guy that can go from not playing in a game to being ready to step up and play 14 minutes against one of the better guards right now, probably in all of college basketball. I mean, that's just amazing. And that shows that, look, they might not be playing a ton of guys night in and night out. There's depth here. 
and they're ready to go if they're it, needed. It almost feels like the way NBA coaches use their rotation. It honestly, it, I, I'm going to be honest, and this is probably because we've been around this team a little bit more this year than in the past. It feels a lot like what James Borrego is doing with the Charlotte Hornets, where you can roll out different guys and. They just seem to always be ready to go. Now, I mean, look, did Anthony Harris light it up on the offensive end yesterday? No. Doesn't have to. But that's the thing. When you've got the other guys around you that are shooting the ball as well as they can, all of a sudden, a guy like Anthony Harris and a guy like Leaky Black, they are more valuable to you this year than they've been in the past. Because the last two years, you've been looking for Leaky and a guy like Anthony Harris, you would be looking to those guys and saying, well, you're getting it done on the defensive end. Well, we need you to score on the offensive end, too. Now, you can just let these guys lock in and shine where they're at their best. Yeah, that was the biggest, that's the biggest thing about, especially with Harris, was at 19, when he returned from that knee injury before he eventually tore the ACL again, he gave you a spark on both ends. And he, he gave you a glimpse of what you could, as... Middle he was he was seen as the savior, man. Yeah. They we, thought we we literally thought, dude, this guy could save our season. Remember how deflated the Smith Center felt when he tore his ACL that night? Oh my God, man! Yeah, that was that was just it, he had worked so hard, but also like he had just he had been playing so well on both ends of the floor that you legitimately thought to yourself, we could make the tournament off of this one kid coming back. You could feel Carolina's season evaporate that night when he was sitting by, you know, by the stanchion with his knee tore up. You would love for him to give you something offensively. And I do think there could be a game or two where he he'll, he'll have to give you something and I think he will give you something. But he he has a role and that's something we talked about entering the season was we felt like Carolina's going to have more defined roles for their for this roster. Yep. And after Connecticut, you didn't feel so sure about that. Huber Davis stuck to his guns. He didn't waver, which, as a young coach, if he were to waver, you would kind of expect it because he's he's learning as he goes. That didn't happen, though. These guys have stuck with their roles. They've stayed ready, and it's it was a really joy to see him play defense um, as Carolina just – these are games in, in in the last couple years you probably lose. Now, the Georgia Tech, no hot, no Jose Alvarado, who just loved to play big against Carolina. Moses Wright, gone from this team as well. This team, of course, won the AC tournament a year ago. Doesn't matter. I, I, that's a tournament team. We, with the way that DeVoe was playing coming in, and you mentioned it, he was averaging 25 a game coming in. He had 15 in this game, which isn't bad, but you held him 6 of 13 overall, and more importantly, he was just one of five from deep. And Jordan Usher having a good season. He's a good dude. As well. He's been playing hard. He's another guy. Eight points in this game. You you held him from making a big impact. Those were two guys that, if this game was played last year, those two guys would have had huge games. Mm-hmm. Because remember when Carolina played Georgia Tech last year? Usher was phenomenal. Usher was great. And Alvarado killed you. Those were their two best players, and and they did what they should have done to you. This year, their best players came in. They played all right, but they didn't play good enough to win the game because you your effort defensively was just better than it was last year. We played audio earlier in the program about Hubert Davis saying that this game validates Wednesday's game and it really validates Carolina's basketball program and his vision for Carolina basketball under him. And I thought that was very interesting because, well, this is this is Georgia Tech on the road. It's not like you went to Louisville and won, but I think it was more of the the feeling around the program. And 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 this was something that you brought up in the pre-show that you thought this win in a lot more ways was bigger than Michigan. And I don't know if I necessarily agree with that in terms of it being a bigger game. I do think I feel the game as equally, if not more, encouraged about this team than I did on Wednesday night. So so this is how I'll phrase it. I think that Michigan was the bigger game. This was the more important game. Because with Michigan, Michigan, you're at home. You're playing a team that coming into that game is not living up to the expectations that they had preseason. But it's still a big win. That's a team that was preseason top five. They were still ranked at the time. 
and that's an opponent that you've struggled against historically. So it's a that's a huge win for you to get, and it got the confidence rolling. This game was huge because, and we've seen it the last two years, this was to keep the momentum building. Mm-hmm. The last two years, it just feels like in these opportunities, you've fallen short. For some reason, this year, it was totally different. In the first half, you were probably feeling that way. Especially early on when they were down eight, you were like, oh, here we go. This is going to be a big win straight into a letdown. And you end up starting the conference season 0-1. But this team responded in the second half, played just as good as they did the other night against Michigan, and picked up a big win on the road against a team in Georgia Tech that, I mean, you you really don't know this year in the ACC. I, I, I'm, I, I have no clue what any of these teams are outside of Duke and Carolina because the other team that we thought was going to be really good in the conference, Virginia Tech, they just got beat by Wake Forest, who may be... who might be good. We don't know. So... And I think that's the the other takeaway from this is that, look, now you still got 19 more of these ACC games to play. And a lot... You're going to find out a lot about who you are in in January and February. Definitely. I do feel like Carolina has submitted themselves as an ACC title contender. Part of that is the fact that, look, the ACC has not bounced back as of right now the way we anticipated it. Syracuse is not as good. Florida State, Virginia, two teams that were preseason ranked, they're out of the top 25. Yeah, Florida State's having a rough go of it. And and so the the funniest thing about this is that the last couple years, even though you had Virginia win the national championship, Florida State's been really, really good. Carolina and Duke have been good, not great. But because they've been good, not great, well, the ACC's down. What's going to be really funny is if Carolina and Duke shake out to be the top two teams in the ACC, which I think that was the expectation entering the season. They were preseason one, two. We picked them to win the ACC over Duke like many media pundits. But if it's Carolina and Duke vying for the ACC, well, the ACC's good again. Nonetheless, uh, nonetheless, no, maybe. Because, I no, don't know. No, it, no, it is because the reputation of the league it's carried by those two schools separated eight miles apart I, on look, the back I, of the I road. Don't, I don't think you're wrong about that, but I'm, I do I'm think I do think that if you have, let's say, like five teams from the ACC make the tournament and that's it, they'll still say that this no, is conference won't. is way down. No, because they care. They only care about the ACC being really, really good as long as Duke and Carolina are really good. Because well, it helps their TV ratings. Here's the thing, though. You to go on the road and win. Well, now you have the confidence to do that again and again and again. I I think Carolina's going to take care of their home court. But it's been the games on the road that have cost them in the ACC standings the last couple of years. And I I think that's that's why yesterday was important. Even though it's just one, well, as much as we complain about that one game in December, usually that one game in December factors into the overall standings in March. Because we've lost those games the last couple years at Virginia and last year at Georgia Tech and NC State to start yep. ACC play. Yep. Well, now you got to win. So now you're already plus one in, in the column when you're still learning about who you are and the type of team you're going to be come the, the, the heart of the ACC season. Well, now you can draw back on this experience and say, guys, we've already gone on the road and won in a place where historically we don't play very well. You, That's going to be countless for Hubert Davis and the staff, especially when they face adversity and they lose a game or two on the road, because that's inevitably going to happen, most likely. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. So, um, you got that. Kerwin Walton. Did I place too much pressure on Kerwin Walton to be good? I think he heard the podcast. I'm going to be honest. I think he heard the Bold Predictions podcast. By the way, the Bold Predictions podcast for the... Four Corners podcast and the Heel Tough Blog podcast. Now, some of the other ones that you had looking looking like they still got a shot, definitely. Um, it, this one is on par with some of the ones from from the Heel Tough. That that one is not looking great, but I mean, this is today outside of the team not being ranked in the AP polls, which you may circle back around to here at the end. Uh, if I did spoil that, I am sorry. No, I didn't. Um, but 
this is probably the most polarizing topic right now around Carolina basketball. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't really get it. This team is winning. I know, look, he played seven minutes yesterday. That was the fewest of anybody that played in the game. My thing is, is you're winning. Mm. If he's not playing that big of a role for you right now, what's the harm in it? Because who who out of those guys that were out there yesterday do you think that we should take off the floor and put him in in favor of? Would you rather him on Michael DeVoe than Anthony Harris? I'm sorry. I wouldn't want that. Anthony Harris is a better defender than him. And this is the one thing that we talked about with Kerwin. And we said this could be the difference between him starting or being a role player. Now it's the difference between him being a role player and being a, a, a just a, a regular bench guy is that he cannot defend at a high enough level right now to be out there because he's he's it, when he's out there, he's hurting you. The harm in him not playing, is he still your best shooter? Then there's going to be a game where you're going to need him to make shots, and right now he's not in rhythm of the offense. I mean, I get that, but here's the thing. That's- right now you're winning. You you put together two back-to-back pr- pretty sizable wins for you and the coaching staff. You To me, you cannot justify putting him out there and saying we're going to work through the struggles even if that costs us a game or two. I'm not at that point in the season yet. No. They're not good enough to be at that point. No, look, I'm never going to come on here and justifying a player getting minutes so I can lose. Winning is the ultimate goal. I have... You don't y'all, y'all don't want to listen to me yell for an hour if we lose a ball game. So we need I to, don't. We need to win. The biggest issue is is what I've been concerned about the last couple games is that when the time comes where you need him to make shots because RJ and Caleb and Brady aren't making perimeter shots and he's not in the rhythm of your offense, how confident do you expect him to be in that situation to take shots and make shots? Now here's the good news is that the College of Charleston he was put in that situation where he hadn't played a whole lot. And he made four three-pointers, and it didn't ultimately matter. But that was the College of Charleston. That's not UCLA in three weeks. That's not Virginia Tech in four weeks. It's, it's, the competition was different. That's that's the biggest concern. Transferring, not concerned about that. People, you, you, Look, if he transfers, he transfers. Here's my thing. If, <laughs> if your team right now is better without him on the floor – then you need to have him sit on the sideline. I, I, there is no way that you can justify putting him out there for an extended period of time and saying, look, we're going to live with whatever the results are just so that we can try to make sure that he's in a rhythm and ready to well, go. I get what you're saying. There is going to be games where you're going to need him. But my thing is, is, look, if I'm going to win a bunch of games – because my team is playing better on the defensive end and we're still efficient on the offensive end, but we may need him for one or two games to step up and we lose those games, as opposed to forcing him out there and you struggle defensively, lose a little bit of rhythm, and you're one of those teams that has fits stopping and starting in conference season, I'm going to live with those games where we struggled shooting the three because we're not playing Kerwin Walton a lot because he, he's he's a defensive liability. This is just a spot where you need your other veterans to step up. Kerwin Walton right now isn't playing a lot of minutes because, no offense, he doesn't deserve to play well, a lot it, of minutes. It comes back to the NBA type of rotations that we're seeing where you're going to ride who's giving you what you got. And if Anthony Harris can come off the bench and not play a game and still give you 14 quality minutes... Don't you think when the time comes that we need Kerwin Walton to play big, he would be able to do yeah. so? Because well, oh, I think so. He's a more gifted player than Anthony Harris. He's a more naturally talented player. Right. I saw somebody say yesterday, though, that Hubert Davis is dropping the ball here because he's not playing his most NBA-ready player. Well, okay. I'm like— That's the most idiotic take since I heard Corey Alexander say that Kenny Anderson was the most— the best point guard in the history of the ACC. He, go, he goes to that every time that Georgia Tech plays Carolina, dude. But but here, oh. here's why that's ludicrous. Who's the one player we publicly heard Hubert Davis challenge the most all offseason? It was Kerwin Walton. 
Right. Because he sees the potential in him on both ends of the floor. I don't feel like he's just purposely not playing him. He will play him when he feels like he has earned the right to be on that court because after that Tennessee debacle, he flat out said, I'm going to play the guys that deserve to be on the court. Honestly, it feels like basically what this what, what this person was trying to say is that there is some sort of agenda that Hubert Davis has against Kerwin Walton. I yeah. don't think that is true at all. And I'm going to be on it right now. Um, have you seen Kerwin the last few games that he's played? He hasn't been shooting the ball well either. So the thing that he normally does well, he hasn't been doing. This isn't just the fact that he can't defend. It's that the thing that he normally does well, he's not doing well right now. Well, he also but, doesn't have to shoot the – like last year – he had to come in in the game and take perimeter shots because nobody else could make them. Right. You don't need him to give you perimeter scoring because you've got your other guards and your and Brady Manic well, and those guys. But that's where that's where he's going to thrive, and he still is a guy that likes to sort of camp a little bit outside I mean, of that still, three point line. I mean, he can shooting, drive inside. He's still shooting thirty six percent from three, not the forty seven percent that I said he was going to shoot. 36% you're going to live with. I mean, it's not, it, yeah, it's definitely not bad. I mean, his last showing, though, was was rough. He was 0-4, 0-3 from the field. Well, and the then, best, of course— The best way to come out of a slump is to shoot. Sh- you don't come out of a slump by stop shooting. Right, but see, it's, it's not the fact that— What I'm saying is it's not only the fact that he's not shooting well. You combine it with the fact that he's just a liability defensively for you. And, I mean, right now, like, here's the— who are you taking off the floor for an extended period of time in that backcourt? Well, are think, you taking Caleb Love or R.J. Davis out? I think that Not with the way they've been playing. To a bigger conversation, which is just the overall rotation. It's December, and we're seeing a February rotation from Hubert Davis like we were used to seeing from Roy Williams, where guys are not getting a lot of minutes. I mean, yesterday you played, you played nine guys. Um, Justin McCoy... Didn't even play a full minute. He was on the court less than a minute. So, so, so we have the uh, we have we have the two different websites that we use. Uh, Staff broadcast, which is fantastic, and ESPN. Staff broadcast has Justin McCoy listed as having played in the game. ESPN because he didn't play a full minute. They don't even list him as having yeah. played in the game. He doesn't even qualify. And, and so, I I think that's the thing. We we haven't. People are concerned about the freshmen and the transferring. Don't worry about that. Those I, I'm gonna be I think, those guys had their out the second Roy Williams retired and Hubert Davis became the head coach. Well, and here's the other thing. It, it the fact that he has been running this small rotation literally since game one. Yeah. I it seems to me, and look, I don't know because we're we're not around the team. I would assume that this is something that was known. Mm-hmm. Once when when they were going through the summer and into the fall to prepare for the season, that look, guys, this rotation. I'm not Roy. Well, I mean, this rotation's going to be thin. He, he if you want to play, you need to earn playing time. He did say it was going to be fluid, and he has been nothing but honest about that because the rotation has been fluid. Oh yeah, from, you from, went. You went. What Anthony Harris did not play any sort of significant role up until they went to Connecticut. Yep, both games there plays a significant role. Comes back, I don't remember how much he played in UNC Asheville, but it didn't feel like he played a lot. Didn't play really at all against Michigan. Didn't play at all. Now comes in, now comes in plays a significant role against Georgia Tech. So that's the thing. Like, your role can also change based on who the opponent is. So look, for the freshmen, I think they knew coming in, look, this is, you, you got to earn it. Also, remember that these two freshmen that are coming in, these are not guys that were ranked inside of the top 20 in the nation. They were guys that you knew were going to take time to develop. And guess what? That's okay. If they want to transfer, there's honestly nothing you can do about it. They're this transfer is the any? role that they're in right now. And again, it goes back to, are you going to force guys onto the floor just to satisfy them? I'm going to tell you right now, if you do that, and you compromise the success of your team just to keep people happy, that's not gonna it that's not a way to run a program because you're not gonna win. Well, okay. Here's the problem with saying that. 
is that that means that for 18 years you can play with Roy Williams experimenting in November and December because no, no, that's but, what he did? But they were still successful enough. I feel like at if, if you were to throw DeMarco Dunn out there, let's say you're taking minutes away from Caleb Love and R.J. Davis to throw DeMarco Dunn out there, do you really think this team is going to be that successful? It's no slight to him. He's a freshman. He's got to learn. There but is, if you're there is worried, value to playing them, though. If you're, I, I mean, I get that. But because they're going to be ACC players at some point, you don't want them playing in ACC games without experience. I think, but I think, you still your ultimate goal right now, and 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 he said this multiple times already, is to win now. Well, playing a bunch of true freshmen and guys that are struggling, that's not going to give you the success that you want right now. These guys are playing well. Ride the success that they're having. I'm not saying you need to shrink the rotation and play six. But if these guys are having success right now, I don't want to take R.J. Davis and Caleb Love off the floor more than I have to. Give them, give them a little bit of a breather and allow Anthony Harris and some of these other guys to get in there and play a role for you. But ultimately, I want those guys out there as often as possible because they're playing well and they give you the best chance to win. I think more than anything is that Hubert Davis already knows what he's comfortable with. Right. See, that's the thing with Roy is that it's no slight on Roy. I feel like there were guys that Roy felt could fit what he wanted to do, especially early on in the season. And I thought, you know, for the most part, because we've talked about it, that this team doesn't have a lot of guys here, you know, over the last couple of years that have stayed for that second, third fourth year we're back in the times that we're talking about when Roy went as deep as he did we're talking about guys that I mean if you had a guy leave early it was almost a shock Mm -hmm. so yeah of course you had more talent that had pulled itself up so of course your rotations were going to be deeper and of course you were going to want to run more guys out there but it wasn't compromising the success of your team Right now, I feel like there's a reason. Uh, my thing is, there's a reason that he is going with a smaller rotation, clearly. If he felt like going with a bigger rotation would lead to more success, I feel like he would be doing that. But right now, you're looking at back to back games that we think are, you know, pretty def- defining wins for his coaching tenure where. He's had pretty thin rotations, and it, and it's worked out for him. The biggest reason why you can't overly freak out is because the biggest worry we had with the rotations and the minutes was the lack of front court depth. You've got three legitimate players in your front court. Justin McCoy's a year away. It hasn't bit them in the butt outside of the Purdue game because you had both. It was Baycott and Manic in foul trouble, but yet Dawson Garcia in that moment stepped up. That's 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 been the that was my biggest worry with the rotation was how are you going to justify the minutes with the foul troubles as long as Carolina's going to defend without fouling then it ultimately doesn't matter right that, that you're not playing Justin McCoy that you're not playing Styles and I mean and you're guys. still you're still playing Justin McCoy here and there he's had moments I mean he played he played some some significant moments in the game against Michigan where he got some legitimate minutes where he was out there on the court, and they needed him to be out there, and he provided good energy. So, I I mean, I think these guys are talented enough to where when they are thrown in these roles, just like we were talking about with Kerwin Walton, I think that they will be able to thrive in these roles. I don't don't think these are guys that we have to say, look, we got to force them onto the court because we're definitely going to need them at some point. If you run with the rotation that you're running right now, which is basically eight deep, the ninth being McCoy that can come in there from time to time and help you out. I feel comfortable with that. Yeah. I think that can get you where you want to go. Let's go ahead and wrap up this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. Before we let you go, do you want to get you to the website, HeelToughBlog.com, where I had you covered all things Georgia Tech, previewed the game, recapped the game. You can go back and find all. You can find that content up there. I'll be getting ready for Elon later this week as Carolina returns back to Chapel Hill on Saturday night, 8 p.m. in the Smith Center against Elon Phoenix. Football side of things, Carolina found their bowl destination. They will be in Charlotte as they'll take on South Carolina in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. we got an article up about that. Sam Howell will be playing in the 
uh, Duke's Mayo Bowl. Anthony has an article up about that as well, what that means for, for Carolina in the bowl game, and potentially for him maybe returning for his senior season next year. As, as, as We will do our best, and Anthony will do his best, to keep you covered on Carolina football as we enter the offseason National Signing Day less than two weeks away. That's a big day for us, big day for the program. We'll have you covered with all that as well. As for the podcast side of things, you know where to find us. Basketball Podcasting Network, host through Megaphone, but we're on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, you name it. The Four Corners Podcast is there. Go ahead and give it a like. Review me as the host. Review Anthony as the co-host when he's here. But we most importantly, hit that subscribe button. That way you get every, that way you get every great podcast right there in your podcast library. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We'll thank Anthony for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels.